0: Hello everyone and welcome to Writers Drinking Coffee. This is a podcast based on writers sitting around drinking coffee or wine and talking about writing, publishing, and the whole creative process. We do not censor ourselves, so consider us PG-13. Your hosts today are Chaz and Karen Brenchley and me, Jeannie Warner. This is episode 108, Interview with Liz Williams. Welcome from across the water, Liz. Liz is in the Greenwich time zone, I believe. Yes. So your coffee is more red than my latte right
1: now. Um, Yeah, I've actually just had a glass of milk. So um, it's 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 white. We had a uh, yeah, Trevor says rock and roll. We had a glass of wine at lunchtime. So I'm not having anything this evening. uh, But it's it's a nice um, it's a nice calm, uh, rather wet summer's day here. Oh, water. We in
0: California wish that we had a nice, wet summer's day.
1: Yeah, I know. I, I see your weather and I look <laughs> at the weather that the Pacific uh, Northwest has been having recently. And that's just horrifying, actually.
2: Yes, that's, you know, that's scary. Cool
1: stuff. Now, it was
0: interesting when I went and looked up your list of which books, because I had read your Inspector Chen, which is fabulous okay. and I love it. But it was weird that Wikipedia said, well, she's a science fiction writer. I'm like, you write all kinds of stuff. So what is your favorite sort of way to quantify yourself? If somebody said science fiction, fantasy, urban, supernatural, occult, gothic horror, what what do you consider yourself mostly?
1: Well, a lot of it, um, and this is an old fashioned term, but I actually like it. I I think a lot of what I write is science fantasy. Uh I I grew up reading people like Jack Vance and a lot of that stuff, um, you know, science fiction, um, tends to be planet-based. The technology is, is there, but it's not deeply described. And I, I saw that as being described as science fantasy. And I still think that that's um, actually quite a good term. So it's, it's not quite space opera because it's not, it's not sort of right. far-reaching right. enough. It, it tends to be you know, set on one or two planets. Um, but Van Scott described as a science fantasy writer, and so did a lot of other people in the 60s and 70s. And I kind of don't see why we got rid of that term, except from a marketing perspective.
2: Mm. Um,
1: because it's, uh, you know, the the market is very dominated by um, the people who want to sort of categorise and quantify everything in bookshops, and they tend to have a science fiction section and a fantasy section, not a both section. Right. Um, so I think that's where it came from. But, I yeah, I think I write science fantasy. You know, it's not hard science um, fiction. It's not um, very technological. Some of the tech is very weird. Most of it is improbable and couldn't actually happen. And I think, um, you know, that's a fantastical version of science and, um, and how science works. So I think science fantasy does it as much as anything else. But um, certainly with the Chen novels, there's detective elements in there elements of detective fiction, obviously. Uh, there's also um, supernatural fantasy, urban fantasy to some extent. So I kind of feel like I, I want to have my cake and eat it, really. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh.
0: Well, I, I love that. And because I when I had read it, Inspector Chen, It was it was a touch of police procedural, but then it goes completely in different directions. It was like this was what I want police procedurals to be more like and what I feel like their interpretation of Lucifer did. But I liked yours better. So
1: thank you. I I try and avoid a lot of um, I'm sure I do end up with a lot of cliches, um, but I try and avoid them. And I wanted in the Chen novels explicitly to avoid the sort of police procedural of the hard drinking um, detective who goes home and knocks back a bottle of whiskey and crashes out on his couch. I wanted him to have an actually quite a happy home life. Married you know, to a not quite human, yes. Yeah, married to a demon. And um, that's going to cause problems. But the problems in that marriage are external, not internal. And um, I kind of wanted to have it that way, because I think there is, um, you know, there's a lot of sort of detective fiction in which the detectives aren't that, the protagonists are not that functional. And, um, as human beings, and Chen is quite functional actually
2: yes, yes, he is i really i, I very much enjoyed those I, and I liked the um the hell aspect too, or the other half of it at the 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 not anyway
1: yeah that's... i had fun with I had fun with hell, a lot of the hell is um in um Chinese mythology. I didn't make a lot of that stuff up uh, oh. they have particularly Baroque hell, so I did make up some elements of it um I purloined i guess. But um, some of the actual hells depicted in Chinese myth and legend is is deeply weird from a Western perspective. So um, I had a lot of fun with that.
0: And I think that's where they've failed with Lucifer and some of the others and, and even Constantine of naming some of the other big fantasy things people might have heard of is those all had multiple hells. And yet when they made it for an American audience, they're like, oh, well, they won't understand. So we better make it the Christian series. And I, I feel like if they made Inspector Chen it would do it a disservice to make it Christianized when it is very much not
1: yeah i 'd have to resist that at all costs, I think, because um, uh, there 's kind of a, a sense i think somewhere that the um, the Christian hell does exist sort of in that universe, um, but nobody actually goes to it because they 're dealing solely with asia they don 't really have that much to do with westerners they 're not popping down to um, you know to meet uh, the denizens of of the Christian. Hell, if anywhere they, they do. Um, there is one where they sort of end up in one of the Indian ones, um, and there are quite a lot of very baroque um, and quite interesting Tibetan hells, which I wouldn't mind exploring at some point. Um, but I, I don't really want to sort of have um, standard Western devils with pitchforks and um, and Satan and that kind of thing in this particular series.
0: Well, you have a, a much more global view of uh, magic and paganism and belief. I mean. I understand that uh, Karen was telling me you worked in
1: Kazakhstan for a while. I worked in Kazakhstan for quite a while, yeah. And, um, and Uzbek- uh, first of all, what were you doing there? Because cool. Um, so I was um, teaching English, basically. Um, my partner went out. My late partner um, went out to um, do some English language teaching, and I I went with him. We were working for the same company, and he was teaching people like um, students from the United Nations out, out there, and. Uh, um, students from oil companies so i just basically went to hang out and um, did some english language teaching with him um, so that's why we were there because that's one of my, the other sort of job strings to my bow i'm an english language teacher and that is gr- a great job to have if you want to travel uh, because it can get you work pretty much anywhere in the world and kazakhstan was fascinating it's it hadn't long opened up it was just um out from under the soviet yoke in about 96 97 and um, they were just kind of feeling their way into what it meant to be an independent country again. Do they also have
0: the shamanistic tradition of, uh, for instance, Siberia? Or is it a different, similar, or different? Similar.
1: Yeah, it's very similar. They're um, officially Islamic. They're an Islamic country, but I think they are a Sufic um, tradition rather than the hardcore um, Saudi Arabian type of Islam. Um, they, they don't like the hardcore versions of Islam. They're very kind of... Uh, mild and um, sort of a bit laissez-faire about it. You know, we they go to the mosque if it's a festival, but otherwise they don't necessarily go every week. Um, women are quite emancipated and always have been. And, um, you know, in comparison with some of the other neighbouring Islamic countries, they're pretty laid back about um, secularisation. Mm. But they do have this shamanic tradition alongside. And that's very similar to the um, form of Siberian shamanism that you find further up in Siberia and the Altai and in Western China. Were you able to use anything you learned over there about their traditions? Have you written about any of it? Um, yeah, I have in a book called Nine Layers of Sky, which is set in Kazakhstan. And that is basically, that was written, I think in about 2002, r- roughly 2003. And that basically deals with um, both the sort of scientific side of um, what was perceived to be the, the, the Soviet future, the you know, sort of glorious future. Where they'd have rocket ships and a space race and all the rest of it, corresponding with this kind of shamanic um, tradition uh, that some of the Kazakhs themselves uh, went in for the nomad traditions. Um, So, Nine Layers of Sky is kind of my Kazakhstan book. Neat. And that brings it to when you're thinking about what you've studied, you have
0: the most interesting PhD I have ever heard of in a philosophy of science.
1: Yeah, it's, um, it, I look back on it now and I think, God, did I actually write all that? Um, it was actually in, in epistemology, which is the theory of knowledge. So it's looking at the differences between knowledge and hypothesis and paradigm and all the different sort of categories of belief. I wish they taught it in schools, actually. I wish they taught it as a first year compulsory university course, uh, because if they did, we might have a little bit more critical thinking.
0: I vote for, you know, the senior and high school level. I got humanities then. I'm thinking, it's an excellent to learn young. What is science versus non-science? What is scientific inference? What are hypotheses? How does the structure of work? It's so interesting.
1: It is interesting. And I think it's really essential because I live in kind of the uh, capital of irrationality, Glastonbury. Yes. (laughs) In many respects. But my God, are we prone to anti vaxxing flat-earthing, conspiracy theories—you uh, know, the Illuminati, um, QAnon. It's one of the homes of QAnon in Britain, and there aren't many of homes of QAnon in Britain. Actually, it's kind of been a bit resistant to that. Uh, but Glastonbury—I sort of feel like I, I need all the, the weapons I can muster intellectually, uh, although I don't necessarily engage that much with these kinds of things. Uh, but uh, yeah, boy, do we need it in this uh, in this current um, zeitgeist, I think.
0: Now you wrote. On similar topics, you wrote a nonfiction book, correct? A historical survey of magic?
1: Yes, uh, Miracles of Our Own Making, which is a history of British paganism. Uh, when I say British, I mean uh, primarily England, um, a bit of Wales and Scotland, and very little of Ireland. Ireland is obviously not part of Britain. It's a separate country with the exception of Northern Ireland. Um, but that in itself could be a whole other book because uh, they're magical. Uh, and pagan traditions are um, are really fascinating. I, I so wish I I wish I'd yeah. met you
0: earlier when I was looking up for a book that I'm writing on. I need old gods. Well, here's some. No, no, older. What was before then? <laughs> the series
1: well, of the series of gods in England has been fascinating. It is fascinating. Yeah, I mean, because you don't just have. Uh, we don't know a whole lot about the Celtic gods and goddesses actually, because they didn't write anything down. Um, so we do know them through um, archaeological evidence. We know them through Roman writings. But obviously the Romans brought their gods and goddesses over as well. You know, so I'm sitting about 30 miles away from the city of Bath um, at Sulis, where Minerva, Sulis Minerva, was a sort of syncretic Romano-Celtic deity. So, um, you know, a lot of people have come over here um, with their gods. And the one that they fish representations out of the Thames that wash up on the foreshore most these days is Ganesh, the Hindu god. Really? Oh. Yeah, because um, you know, once you've you've asked him to do your your or you know, requested help from him, um you can make a small offering of his statue to the to the nearest river. And I I guess in India this would mainly be the Ganges where people would ideally want to um to throw their little statues. But um you know the, the Hindu and Indian communities in London are quite extensive. Um so they threw him into the Thames instead and he, he washes up all over the foreshores
0: wait a second, Chaz, you frequently said how much you love the slow canal boats up and down in all over England. Is, did, did you take along a Ganesh statue? Is that the secret reason?
2: <laughs> we did not. I, did, I knew nothing of this. And I am I'm fascinated and intrigued.
1: Yeah, it's, um, I, I started following a woman um, on Instagram earlier on this year, and she's done a very, very interesting book called Mudlarking. Yeah. Um, about how to be a mudlark, Lara Makelim, actually, and she finds all sorts of um along the muddy shores of the Thames and all sorts of gods and representations as well as um you know fascinating things like um articles of clothing and Elizabethan um artifacts and so on. And uh, it was it was she who um kind of alerted me to this this practice of popping Ganesh into the waters.
0: Mm-hmm. I feel like I feel like Ben Aronovich needs to cover this somewhere in his rivers of England too.
1: Yeah, I think- I- I think, I think he probably does. I, I don't know whether he does or not, because I've been writing um, the, uh, the comic Weather series features London quite heavily. I've actually been avoiding other fantasy work because I don't want to sort of take stuff on board.
2: Right.
1: I think you should write a story
2: called popping Ganesh into the waters. <laughs>
1: well, he, he does he pops up in Embertide, which is the, um, the third of the, ah. um, the, the comic weather novels. Um, he's only mentioned um, because I wanted to make it clear that um, it's not just the Fellow sisters themselves who have these magical experiences—an awful lot of people do—and um, different ethnic groups have their stuff as well, because you know we are a multicultural society. It's unrealistic to um, have it solely as kind of white English people living in the countryside having these supernatural and magical encounters. Um, so it's not touched on very extensively, but I do want to make it really plain that other people are having their adventures alongside um, the characters in those novels, and, and some of those will be Hindu.
0: That is sort of a, I mean, there's almost a meta novel or story to be written here of what if every, you know, there are 90, 90 ways of writing tribal lays and every one of them is right. What if every book of every metaphysical pagan magic fantasy all was happening at the same time and were all absolutely true at once?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I I want to uh, sort of have a world in which, you know, other people's realities are as compelling and potent for them as, you know our own sort of myths and legends are are for us. You know it's because it's they're they're living in the same landscape, but it might take a slightly different form for them. Your
0: first couple books went right straight into winning awards. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so the, the, the Ghost Sister, Empire of, Born, uh, Empire of Bones. You almost read
1: them. <laughs> uh, yeah, I um I was very lucky with the Philip K. Dick, and um, we. Ended up, uh, we w- We actually went out to Seattle for the Dick Awards, and we went out to a Norwest fund, which was great. And um, that was in about, two th- well, it must have been about 2000, I think. And then Banner of Souls was nominated for the clerk. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm like always the bridesmaid, never the bride. I haven't won anything, um, but I'm quite regularly nominated. So, uh, you know, hey, that's good enough, really.
0: Woohoo. Now, Dark Mind. Sorry, Darkland and Blood Mind. I would Dark Mind and Bloodland, but that's not oh, that's right. Quite not, actually. I think I'll just start returning to <laughs> <laughs> Those those are more Norse mythology then.
1: So they are, yes. I, I, I I'm not quite sure why. I, I wanted to sort of I went into a kind of a wintery phase and I do like Norse mythology. Um, but um it's 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 also Saxon mythology as well. it's it's again it's, just, it's the mythology of the uh, the British Isles, as well as um, of Scandinavia and northern Germany, and but sometimes that can take a very dark turn, as we know. You know, politically, it's it's a bit of a symbol for groups whom I don't particularly care for, and so it's quite interesting to play around with that um, sometimes. I'm fascinated by the whole marvel take on it actually although i haven't seen any of them i, I kind of don't get a lot of time to watch films wow and, um, <laughs> I, I, you know at some point when i get the next get the flu i'll, I'll watch all of them um but yeah. it's quite, i'm quite interested to to see what they're doing with loki and and so on and uh, i see a lot of memes to the extent of oh my god he's made bisexual you know our civilization is crumbling
2: <laughs> um you know
1: the, the guy has a has an affair with a horse he yep. is a horse <laughs> Well, no, he's a, he's a, he's a mare, not only does
0: he turn himself yeah. into a horse, he turns himself into a girl horse,
1: yeah, he's a girl horse, and he gives birth as far yeah. as so so you know this isn't the the original myth, so the original mythology is I think a lot more interesting than
2: um some of the people who are taking it on <laughs> want to make it well, yeah, but that that's kind of. I mean, you know, you've just gone through the extreme list of extreme right wing don't believe in anything people having just have and having Loki just be bisexual is so horrible, especially over here. The that kind of rigidity is even in the, even in the non extreme right wing, it's 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 still kind of Ew, icky. And I'm like, oh, come on, meet people, you know, meet yeah. people.
0: Truth be told on that, it's, you know, in America, women aren't quite equal citizens. So the idea of why would you, why in the world would you turn yourself into a woman when they are so lesser? But people forget that women weren't really lesser in a lot of the Nordic countries.
1: No, it's, um, well, I think um, I gather this from um, Karen and Chazis and my mutual friend Kari, actually, Kari um, Spurring, who is a a medieval um, historian. Um, and she said that the, the Vikings certainly had a pretty enlightened for the time attitude to women's rights and um, and the legal system. Yeah, I've heard that too. Okay. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's something that, um, you know, I think sort of gets swept under the rug. Britain's not, not as bad. We we have um, quite a lot of homophobia and uh, a certain amount of anti-trans stuff here, um, but I don't think it's quite as rigid because we're not such a religious country. You know- I was thinking of other
0: things up in the Nordics. Have you ever, looking at the Swedish and Nordish mix, have you ever jumped over to Finland and played, isn't it the Kalevala? Have you ever played with the bird eggs and uh oh, wow.
1: <laughs> No, I, I never have. Um, the Kalevala, or however you pronounce it, I don't know how to speak Finnish, uh, was something that I was reading when I was um, really quite young. So I went through the whole thing in the LaRousse Book of Mythology, and it's very dark. And uh, we did go to Finland a few years ago. We went to, uh, as a guest of honour to um, FinCon, which was brilliant. And um, I, I did have a sort of few panels on it then.
2: Liss, so can, we- you, can, can you talk some more about Comet Weather and its sequels? Because this was a it's, a it's a project that I just found fascinating.
1: Yes, um, I started writing it about a decade ago, probably more than that, actually. And I started just kind of jotting down ideas, really. It was my fun project, as I've said elsewhere. And it was a project that, um, you know, when things were were getting tough elsewhere, whatever, I went to write my fun project, mm. and um, I I made a bucket list. I didn't write up down a plot. I made a bucket list of everything that I wanted um, in a novel, and I'm still doing that with <laughs> with all four of them. I'm not plotting. I'm pantsing definitely, uh, but I'm writing down this bucket list of things that I want in in the novel. So in the last one, uh, which I'm doing at the moment, Salt on the Midnight Fire. Um, I have things like Queen Elizabeth um, wrecking Cornwall, battles between lions and unicorns. I have a whole list of things um, that I want to put in the book, and I, I pop I pop them in and I work the plot around them. I'm hoping this doesn't mean that the plot is going to end up as a gigantic mess. Actually, but you know what that's like, and you know, I, I, it just I, means it's going to be a series, right? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this is the fourth <laughs> one. Um, so, so hopefully, you know, we'll 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 get it um, we'll get it ironed out. Um, but it's uh, basically the, the sort of genesis of this was that I wanted to write an English fantasy, not some ghastly nationalistic type fantasy, obviously, I hope, uh, but an English fantasy, because an awful lot of um, of British fantasy is set in, in the Celtic lands. And I'm of Welsh and apparently, according to my DNA, a lot of Irish. Well, I didn't know that. And yeah. Scott extraction. Um, but also a lot of my, my mother's family are actually English and ha- always have been. And I really wanted to do something set in southern England because, A, I live in it. Um, B, I know an awful lot about it. And i um, sorry, if you can hear a voice in the background, it's Trevor talking to the dog um, who needs to be talked to for some reason. And I just wanted to focus on the southern counties of, of England and kind of keep it to there. Obviously, the southern counties include um, London. You know, this is the capital is absolutely massive when it comes to um, layer upon layer of mythology and legend. Um so the characters kind of move back between London and the countryside. So there's a sort of tension there between you know the urban stuff and the countryside stuff. And there's a certain element of never the Twain Shall Meet. Um, you know, mythological entities who who roam the countryside don't come into London and things that live in the city don't go outside it very much. That is fascinating.
0: What why? Just to, you know, don't um, don't just, spoil any things, but why why the why these strong demarcation that way?
1: Oh, they just don't like it. Uh, You know, and that that is um, that the British tend to be quite urban or quite rural. You know, there's a big sort of tension between rural England and and the city. Um, People who live in the countryside feel that people who live in London, politicians, don't understand them, don't understand their concerns. And so I guess that kind of filtered into the uh, into the magical realm
2: metaphorically a bit, too. That goes on a lot here, too, oddly enough. Yeah. um, Yeah. Yeah. The same kind of thing. Although I am loving the fact that you are doing, doing the southern counties and the cities versus the country, especially the the different aspects of the country, um, things that um, I have not encountered in other fantasy stories, and I have done, you know, and I have not been to much of the area down there. Um, well, except you know, when I come visit you, but um, this is all new, and I find this. Um, endlessly fascinating so um so thank you well i'm kind of staggered that it hasn't
1: been used um that much before actually because there is so much of it you know there's an awful lot of myth and legend in cornwall for example um and that cornwall is a, is a separate country essentially it's um, it, not a lot of people speak cornish now but it did have its own language it was one of the celtic countries um there's this whole coastal thing because the coast is is huge here the, the whole idea of um, you know the coastal towns and um, and the fishing industry and so on that's a massive sort of metaphorical uh, thing for the British you know every time we have an argument with Europe it's always over fish well, Cold war, know, The cod war I've read the cod wars <laughs> and um, you know that's um, I'm not going to go into the, the cod war particularly um, but it's it's a big sort of iconic thing for the British and it's um, you know it, it it doesn't really get talked about that much i don't think in in some fantasy but why not you know there's a lot of it out there um there's a lot of fishing fleets out there and a lot of boats out there and the whole history of cornwall is, is you know shipwrecks wrecking lighthouses that kind of thing um and then you've with devon and dorset you've got um a, a different um set of la- the landscape's completely different and the mythology and the folklore is completely different to say somerset or sussex um, or Hampshire so you know there's, there's a sort of it's it's England is like a, the size of a pocket handkerchief as you know it's a tiny little country but there's huge diversity of um, folklore leaf across just those southern counties and I, I kind of think why has this not been mined that much I mean some people definitely have used it um, Susan Cooper um, goes oh, into yeah. it for example. I mean that's that's a, you know that's that's a big example and um, and others do too uh, but maybe not for a while. It's sort of, um, you know, fancy tends to be put in London or in, in Wales or in Scotland. And um, I'd like to see somebody do this with the North, actually, and the Midlands. The Midlands get left out of everything. Yeah. So I was going to say, Winter
0: Strike of your books in that series is definitely Mars. Yes. Have you and Chaz ever talked about Mars and your visions for Mars? <laughs> because it's, I love where you went with... This one is much more of the hard science fiction fans. It's all about a great ancient weapon, the dangers yeah. of the plane.
1: Yeah, it's um, it's a sp- it's definitely a space opera, Mars. Really, I was kind of looking at Edgar Rice Burroughs, I think, um, but I wanted to write it from a feminist perspective. Um, so I just decided, kind of for fun, just to do away with all the males and um, and see what we <laughs> see where we got with that. And of course, you know, Chaz's girl school would fit right in, really.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes i i loved a description that i read that said there was a woman who was imprisoned by her family for accidentally consorting with a male <laughs> yes. that's
1: fabulous yes it's uh, well you know boarding schools what are they like but, um, <laughs> uh, but uh, no I'm, I'm greatly enjoying Chaz's version of mars i think it's brilliant and i i love it so what are you working on right now so at the moment i'm working on um salt on the midnight fire which is the fourth book in the comic weather series and um, at some point we we actually have friends coming up from Cornwall next week. They're trying to meet up and go out to dinner and so on. And I want to talk to them about going down, assuming we can, that we think we can, um, under COVID re- regulations, because they're, they're coming off here in about two weeks' time. Everything's supposed to be stopping. You know, no more masks, no more um, track and trace, all that sort of stuff is supposed to be stopping. So we can apparently freely travel. Um, so Trevor and I are trying to make plans at some point to go down to Cornwall and, um, you know, do a bit of, uh, not re- research, really grooving around. I think probably is more accurate. Um, I do know the county. I've, I've obviously been quite a lot before, um, but I'd like to do a little bit of um, boots on the ground, uh, sort of investigation of various places, and that's possibly a task for this summer. Although looking out of the window, I'm not sure I'm right. Actually, it's uh, it's really quite grey and wet, but never mind.
2: So oh, that's so what I'm doing to, at the moment. Please send us your water. Just uh, you <laughs> send it to us, and then you. Can- I will.
1: I'll have a word with the weather gods and see if they can. Uh, d- d- you know what'll happen. You'll get deluges, though. That's. Uh, Yay! Uh, Yay!
2: You well, don't it, understand.
0: Well, that'll yeah. cost oh, some insights, but we'll trade. We'll take the trade.
1: Yeah, I know. It's um, I, you know, I follow global patterns of weather to see what's happening, and it's not good at the moment, is it? Really. No. Do you feel that? I mean, is there any inspiration or
0: change that you've taken from this? Well, the COVID that we trapped us all inside, how do you feel that the changes in weather and climate and COVID, will it inform your writing in any way?
1: Oh, um, no, it probably won't actually, um, because I think I've not really been that interested in pandemics. Um, I mean, they are interesting and science fiction writers have made great headway with them. And also with the sort of anti-vax thing, Ian Ian McLeod did a brilliant novel called Intrusion some years ago, which you may have read. Um, and that's about somebody who refuses a, a sort of cure-all vaccination, and that was really, really interesting. That was very interesting. Well, um, we
0: all feel that now that now that we've bit lived through this, that Shaun of the Dead, where you know who would hide
1: their vampire
0: bite, now we know. Huh.
1: Now we know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now we know. Um, so that's that's the sort of sociological conspiracy theorist side of it is a little bit more interesting to me. <laughs> uh, but I'm probably just going to leave the the actual pandemic itself, and um, and similarly. Alone, I think, um, you know it's not where i 'm heading uh, creatively at the moment it's uh, lockdown has been fantastic for me in terms of actual writing, though i 've written a lot because um, I kind of thought you shouldn't waste this There's so many people we've chatted that
0: have said you know they felt almost paralyzed in all of this, so
1: you you've been energized by it that's amazing Great. Yeah, I, yeah, I totally was because um prior to lockdown, I was running in lots of different directions, I was doing lots of different teaching. Um, all over the county and um, it was actually getting too much but I can't afford to turn anything down so when I was suddenly kind of um, confined to the house um, with with actually a big paid writing project something um, to do with a, a website that I have been doing um, and the novels I just saw oh come on you can't waste this you've got to get on with it you've got to front load it just sit down and, and do some writing um, so I did I felt it was a hell of an opportunity actually um, and I didn't really get paralyzed by it. I was I'm paralyzed by having to run around all over the place working all the time. You know, and I think a lot of us are feeling that now we're getting back to that. Um, that's that's something to watch out for. That's a, that's a danger. Excellent. You know, people are not necessarily looking forward to getting back into the office. Any advice but, um, for new writers out there? Um, yeah, just the old apply ask to chair, really. Yeah, just sit down and just, just do it. Just do it. You, you can't. You can't afford to waste your time, Mm -hmm. I think is is my thing. And it's it's really easy to say, and quite often I have wasted my time, yeah? And quite often we do find that there are things um, that we've got to do, children, Mm -hmm. animals, work, life, medical stuff, you know, obviously all of that stuff really gets in the way. But as far as you can, um, you know, kind of seize the day, really.
0: That's beautiful. We will put links to Liz's stories and the interesting things we mentioned on our website, which is www.ridersdrinkingcoffee.com. You can also find us on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, Liz, if somebody has a question and they want to ask it of you, can we count on you to answer back? Oh, totally. Yes. Yeah, I'm on, um, they'll find me on Facebook. Fantastic. You've been listening to Riders Drinking Coffee, a labor of love and enthusiasm put together by the hosts. Our main web support magic is brought to you by Deirdre Schween and our sound engineer and backup web spider is David Welsh. Our intro music is Pretty Maid Milking a Cow and our exit music is Breakfast with a Morning Person, both by Michael Langberg. You can hear more from Michael Engberg on manyhatsmusic.com. Our podcast sponsor is Jackal Designs, who's let you all buy cool WDC swag like our new 100 episode t-shirt. And hey, thanks for listening out there.